Let's Run Nation. In 30 seconds, you can have electrolytes without the junk. The Drink LMNT free trial is back, and I checked out in under 30 seconds on my iPhone Safari browser with the link in the show notes. You pay just $5 shipping for a sample pack. This is essential electrolytes without sugar, artificial ingredients, coloring, or any other junk. I love this stuff. I will personally pay you back the $5 shipping you pay if you don't like it. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run or check the link in the show notes to try it out. Chris Lear, author of The Running with the Buffaloes, loves as well. Welcome, world, to the best track and field podcast out there, the Let's Run.com Track Talent Podcast. On this week's show, so much to talk about. Ron Hill, marathon legend, has died. Tragedy in an ultra marathon in China. The Diamond League season has begun. Daniel Coleman's 3,000 meter world record has lived to see another day. The British teen phenoms have rocked the 800 in Strava. But did you know that the U.S. has its own 800 team phenoms? And Zebe Dababa is in trouble. Is Evan Jaker as well? The Drew Hunter update will be coming. All of that and more on this week's show. This is Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson. Welcoming to the show. Shortly, I'll be joined by former Dartmouth 29-minute 10,000-meter runner Jonathan Galt, as well as my identical twin brother and genetic equal, former Marine Corps Marathon champion, former Mount San Antonio 10,000-meter champion, former USA 10,000-meter fourth-placer, Weldon Johnson. But first, folks, I've always said we believe in transparency here. That's all I've asked for the media to always be transparent and never lie to you visitors. We've got to start with something kind of sad and difficult for me to admit, but just again, I believe in transparency. And after 10 years, folks, we've had to make a staffing change here at Let's Run.com. Steve Soprano, employee 1.1 has been with me for since my coaching days at Cornell. So that's more than 10 years. Um, we've had to, we've had to let him go. I guess that's the proper way to say it. Dismiss him, fire him. So if you want to be in charge of the homepage, please send your application to pod at let's run or give us a call. 844. Let's run 844-538-7786. But I'll just play the audio tape. This is part of our conference call on Monday. Steve made a grave mistake, and we could not overlook it. So, have you guys ever actually tried on and ran in cheater shoes? The, the data is so clear; it's like so obvious, black and white on paper. Like you can't—it's very—you can't argue against it. But none of us, I think, have actually ran in the shoes ourselves. And my friend, who he's kind of like a Nike fanboy, so he kind of hates that we, you know, call him cheater shoes and all that. But he 100% admits the performance. He's like, look, you can't write about this and rant about it without experiencing it. And he has two pairs, and uh, he let me run in one the other day, just for a mile, mile and a half on the road. Holy shit. It's crazy. When you're running, it's like having trampolines on your feet. I'm not exaggerating. And you feel it propelling you forward. So, Jonathan, I mean... How do you feel? I mean, Steve's gone. Does that make you nervous about how you need to behave on the conference calls? Was this call from like 2017? 
why do we care? Like, so, so Steve tried the super shoes and he found out that they work and they feel like trampolines and they're really good. Why is any of this relevant in May 2021? Like, I've heard hundreds of other people, professional runners, express those exact same sentiments. Like, just why is this a relevant topic to talk about right now? Jonathan, we have a brand. We have integrity. Let's Run represents integrity. We have a brand to uphold, and and Steve has violated that brand. This would be the equivalent of a religious leader being caught in an affair or the head of the Do Not Do Drugs national campaign caught snorting cocaine on tape. I mean, this is kind of the opposite of what Let's Run.com stands for, correct? Is it? Is our brand that we don't believe anyone should use the super shoes? Because I don't remember that being our brand. I I thought your brand was disqualify Galen Rupp from the 2016 Olympic marathon. But now that everyone knows the shoes are out there and they're available to everyone, they're legal under world athletic rules, I don't remember our brand being... Anyone who wears super shoes should be fired. Okay, folks. I don't. Even, I think John may actually think may, may think I'm being serious here, John. You do realize I'm joking, right? I do. I do. I'm glad Steve tried them. On is sponsoring our road to the trials. On, please develop the super shoes and send them to me because I need to get on. I need. I need. I need some. I'm back running, folks. It's good news, but I need some super shoes. Anyway, so let's get into this week's action. Actually, Robert, right before we do, and I promise we will bring on Weldon in a second. He's sitting there waiting patiently. I just want to commend your setup right now. For a while, sometimes it would take Robert every week with log on. And it would take him a little while to get his microphone set up and all the levels correct. And I turn on to our podcast app this morning and I see a his his microphone is being suspended by this contraption it has a let's run.com logo on it it's got rojo it's personalized it looks very professional robert has gone from being the least professional to the most professional in the three of us in the setup so anyone watching on video right now you'll i hope you're as impressed as i am thank you john complimenting boss that's one way to keep your job very very thank you very much John, I will jump in now. I've been promising the full video podcast. I don't think I've ever actually put out a full video. There's been segments, so I will take responsibility for that. But I was shocked, too. I don't think that's a sticker on the back at the Wet's Run. It looks very cool. It looks like it's like permanently painted on there, but I don't know what that is. Robert, nice setup. It's called a mic flag, gentlemen. Professionals wear it. Like um, Paul Feinbaum has one. I hope this isn't going to be a video show. Jonathan's not dressed appropriate. John, that's a, I mean, you wonder why you're single. You're, you're wearing like a, what do you call it? Those, the half cut off shirt. Sleeveless t-shirt, Robert. Um, I was actually curious about like, is this unprofessional to wear if we're on video? But I figured you guys didn't really care that much. So I, I guess I know this is the line and I've crossed it. I need to wear sleeves moving forward. But it's supposed to be pretty hot in Boston. Actually, the one other thing, before we get into running, and I'm sorry, guys, that taking uh, audience, it's taking this long to talk about running this week. I promise we'll get there. I just wanted to ask a question about our voicemail line because Robert teases it on this podcast every week. He says, unlike Facebook, unlike Google, you can call us. But I can't remember a single time in the last year where we've actually had a caller call in and we've played that voicemail. Do you check this line and are we going to have any voicemails anytime soon, Robert? I'm not good at checking it, that's for sure. But I think I think if, if they do leave a message, it's recorded somewhere, so I could I could go back and check it. Yes, please. We, we would love to hear from you. Do we have a fake Alberto or fake Galen Rob in one of the first podcasts? Please call back. I promise my new, new my 
June resolution is to check the email and check the voicemail. Robert, I just want to double check that voicemail line is one eight seven seven. Let's run. Is that correct? Jesus, John, eight four four. Let's run eight four four five three eight seven seven eight six. Extension okay. three, you'll be connected to my cell phone. Extension seven is a secret voicemail only line for the show. I don't even know what extension you are. They can reach your cell phone too, John. If you're if they hit like four or five, it's all on the it's all on the. Um, receptionist recording by the way i was thinking of like having sponsoring a pro to be the receptionist like would it be cool like well the people don't even know how Alan webb is anymore but you know maybe we had uh you know like cole hawker be the receptionist that seems like a ta- waste of time and money and potentially an ncaa violation as well speaking of sponsor robert said the road to the trials is sponsored by on guys i've got the on codes i've been giving out some free on gear to Great contributors to the Let'sRun.com community. I'll put it on the record. The next person whose audio is on the podcast will get the on shoe of their choice. A couple podcasts to go. We had the email of the week by Runner 123 That is a real person. Jesse M., your on shoes are in the mail right now. So we're sharing the love here in Let's Run. Keep up the great comments. Call the voicemail, somebody right now. If we use you on, on next week's show, you will get the on shoe of your choice delivered straight to you. Great. 844-LET'S-RUN. That's the number. And let's talk running, guys. Diamond League, Gateshead, is that where we should start? 100%. The Diamond League is back. And what was that last? Sunday. Sunday. Days are blending together now because we got Diamond League this Friday. I mean, like, this is it. Tokyo Olympics approaching. We won't talk about the panic porn. But speaking of on, John, uh, for me, the race of the Diamond League featured an on athlete, Ollie Hoare versus. The guy from Norway. Do you remember his name, Weldon? John, I'm cutting this out. Wait, seriously, you can't remember. I'm taking this. out. I'm cutting this out. Oh my god. I'm gonna put it in there. Okay, I'll finally keep it in. I'll keep it in. <laughs> the most famous runner in the world right now. Jakob Ingebrigtsen. This is just the deal. When you have a kid and you don't sleep, we record the podcast early in the morning. Well, it's actually not early, it's almost noon now, but I'm off my game. A tremendous matchup at 1500 meters. This was great. This was the matchup we wanted. There were some other guys, there were some other great races in this thing, but distance wise, this is the one that did it for me. Ingebrigtsen's leading this thing. It's horrific weather. As John called it, I think traditional English weather, like 60 and raining, maybe 50 and raining. And he's leading the final lap. Hor is right on and post a strike, and what happens? Ingebrigtsen just pulls away. He gets the win. And I, I thought it was tremendous racing, a couple of things. One, I left that race even more impressed with Hor. I, I thought he put up a stern challenge to Ingebrigtsen. I thought he was there. I thought he showed some pep the last hundred. But Ingebrigtsen showed racing acumen that I feel like guys like Centralitz have. It was amazing. He set everything up to get beat. He's leading in the wind. But he held something back. He wasn't going all out. He set up horror. It was perfect. He really held a lot back for the final 100 meters. He didn't kick too hard, 200 to go, 300 to go when he started leading. He's like, I need to have it the last 100 meters. I thought it was tremendous. 
I, I wouldn't praise his acumen. Like you said, he kind of set it up to get beat. I think he's just on a different, a bit different level from those guys, and he knew he had something left in the tank. I don't think, like, tactically, if you would say, oh, this is the most, it's not a brilliant tactical race, but it's fine. He knew he was good enough to run that way and got the win. 336 in those conditions is quite impressive. And credit to Ollie Hoare and Stuart McSwain. They went with him, they followed him, and they gave it their best effort, and they just got beat by a superior runner. But I, I got a kick out of this, and I was impressed by all three guys. Oh, weird. You guys started giving me weird looks. I, re- I was really impressed with Ingebrigtsen's tactics. Actually, the more I think about it, I'm still impressed. The wind was in your face on the home finishing stretch. So Ingebrigtsen actually was leading on the back stretch into the home stretch. So the wind's going to hit you for the final 100. You want to have the lead then, actually. So he's not. he actually wasn't leading on the back stretch into the wind. He's leading with the wind. You've, you've got the best position, and he saved something in the tank, and yet gave the impression that he was tired. Like, I thought it was a great way to do it. I guess you could argue you can always just sit on someone's shoulder and come by, but I don't know. I was impressed. Weldon acts like he's some up-and-comer. I mean, he won the race. He should have won the race. I was actually written down in my notes, should we be concerned about Inga Britson? He only beat Hoare by .31 of a second. Now... You know, a win is a win. I, I thought it was a good race for Ingebrigtsen. I thought it was a good race for Hoare. It's kind of what I wanted to see from both of them. If anything, I think I'm more impressed that someone that, that, that Hoare was that close to Ingebrigtsen than vice versa. But, you know, the thing with Hoare is he's been racing a lot. He's in peak form. This is Ingebrigtsen's, you know, outdoor opener. And I was trying to look up last year, like, did anybody get close to, you know, Ingebrigtsen last year in these types of races? Um, I mean, last year... A Kenyan Kumari Taki, I mean, young guy, he's only 22, was only 0.22 away from him at the same meet. The Golden Spike meet in Australia last year was in September. So, What, you wanted him to blow him away by like two seconds in the final 100? I mean, it was comfortable, not comfortable, yeah, it was comfortable win. Ingebrigtsen was comfortably ahead of Hoare, was comfortably ahead of McSwain. Weldon said this was his race of the day. I my I thought I got a kick out of it. I thought it was a good one. My race of the day, though, was the one that everyone was hyping beforehand, the women's 100 meters. And I thought, now the wind meant that it didn't quite live up to the billing from a times perspective. It was actually hilarious to see, you know, 11.35 winning a Diamond League 100. But that was the 3.1 headwind. But I thought from a race perspective and from a dramatic standpoint, I was very interested. I thought it, it delivered. Dina Asher-Smith, the Brit, the world champion at 200 meters, getting the win there in 11.35. Shikari Richardson second, 11.44. And then Shelly-Ann Fraser-Price was in fourth in 11.51. And this was, this was to me, a huge race for Dina Asher-Smith. Beating Shikari Richardson by almost a tenth of a second. Now, look, obviously, it's probably not going to be this kind of conditions, 50s and rainy and windy in Tokyo at the Olympics. But... This was a huge run. She went into the meet saying, you know, I've been training my ass off. I've been getting stronger. She looked stronger to me this year. Just like she looked more muscular than the last time I remember seeing her, which was 2019. I remember she didn't really race at all in 2020. And she was the best runner in the, on the day. I thought this was a really big win. And it, I don't think it precludes Richardson from coming back and beating her at the Olympics, Richardson will be in action in Doha on Friday in much better conditions for sprinting. But I, th- I was really impressed by Dina Asher-Smith. I thought it was great for the sport because we all on this podcast thought that um, Shikari would 
blow everybody away. We thought she was untouchable. I thought, she, you know, whatever. I think this is good because it's going to create some drama for the Olympics. I still expect Shikari to destroy everybody in the Olympics. And maybe that's putting a lot of pressure on her. But I think this is great. It lowers expectations. The British press is famous for eating their own favorites alive. So now Dina can be the the favorite of the Olympics, at least until we get to the U.S. trials. I mean, if Shikari blows, uh, runs a 10-6 in the U.S. trials, I think we're still going to put her as the favorite. But, you know, I, I honestly was going to have a hot take on, on this podcast a week or two ago and go, like, someone get with Shikari's agent and tell her not to break the world record. Although Fulja's world record may be un- unbeatable. But it's a shame it's out there. Don't break the American record until the Olympics because if you want to make a ton of money, do it then. By the way, if you're a marketing executive, if you're somebody that works for McDonald's or some shoe company, I would sign Shikari Richardson right now. I don't know. And if I was her agent, I would say, no way. You're paying me the gold medal money because I still think she's going to win the gold. But to me, this is great. It's great for the sport because we're going to have a great storyline for the Olympics. Some of these events are just going to be absolutely amazing. When you've got like, you know, 400 hurdles, there's three, at least three super studs. Women's 100, same thing. So you've got different countries, Jamaica, Great Britain, the U.S. I, I thought it was good, though, for Shikari to lose this race because, A, it's going to keep her grounded. She's going to have things to work on. But I've said this about hot weather marathon. Like, running in a 50 degrees in, in, in cold sprinting is basically almost a different sport. Just like running in a hot weather marathon is almost, for some people, is almost a different sport. So who do you think is much more used to these conditions? I think it's the Brit. So I wouldn't read too much into it. Um, but, yeah, it, it was a it, fantastic that all of these women were in this race competing and didn't bag it, didn't say, oh, I'm not going to run because of the weather, etc. So many people think, you know, the problem with the sport is people just bag out of races. And here people actually went, showed up and raced, and it's good for the sport to have these matchups before the Olympics. That's a great take, Robert, because I was worried when I saw that forecast, I was like, oh man, these are the top sprinters in the world. They, you know, some of them, sometimes they can get fussy about things. And I was like, we're probably going to have someone's going to withdraw and it's not going to be as interesting. They all went out there. They all raced. They did both rounds. I, I thought it was kudos to them for sticking it out in the tough conditions. Yeah, I didn't see the prelims. How are they doing the prelims? Well, Dina looked very good in the prelims as well. So Shikari, the prelims actually had an even bigger headwind. Shikari Richardson won hers in 11.53 into a 4.2. And then Dina... In her heat, won hers in 11.45 into a 4.4 headwind. So after watching the prelims, I'm like, holy crap, you know, Dina ran faster into a bigger win. You know, she could very well beat Richardson, but it was it's pretty crazy. Like the win readings of this meet were just absurd. And that seeing the athletes' reactions to seeing the times and the win readings when they crossed the finish line was hilarious. Like the winning time in the women's 100-meter hurdles was 13.28 seconds. In a diamond league. It's just crazy. And Cindy Sember of Great Britain, she won that race. It was a 3.9 headwind. She crosses the finish line. They're all just looking like stupefied at the clock as if like, that can't be my time. Like, I don't run 13.2, you know? And she did because it was just, you know, ridiculously windy and cold and rainy. It was the race, I mean, on paper for sure of the meet. Maybe I don't want to talk about it because on the uh, Friday 15, I'm pretty sure I made a bold prediction. My second one, I just was like, I'm going to go all Rojo with a big bold prediction. And I'm pretty sure I said Richardson would trounce everybody. But conditions like these, I don't know. I don't put too much stock into it. 
the British media just loves Dean Asher Smith so much. I, I don't know. I haven't. I'm like, oh, she won Worlds. It wasn't that great of a field, even though she crushed everybody. But beating this field, I mean, it was a great, 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 great field. Kudos to everyone for match racing. I kind of thought someone was get injured. I mean, there's just a lot of reasons people bypassed that race and they didn't. I wonder how fast they would have run if you just turned it around. I mean, granted, it was raining, but. I mean, Robert talks about the world record being beat. Robert, do you know 10.49 how fast that is? Like, 10.7 isn't very close to 10.49. So, but if you turned it around, could you have gotten a 10.4? No. Because I, 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 I factor in the wind here. It wasn't that much of a wind. Like, I forgot. If you if you convert these times to wind, it wasn't a particularly very fast time. I think that it was too cold for that. But... The reason why I briefly mentioned world record is her some of these win times she's run. If you convert for the win, it's like a ten five. If you give her like a two point oh win, she's running the equivalent of like a two five, right, John? Ten five, excuse me. Yeah, but that's you know you need to have the perfect day for that. And folks, if you love this podcast, you'll love our second podcast even more. Get access to the Friday five fifteen bonus podcast every week by joining the Let's Run dot com supporters club. You also get big shoe discounts, special forum features, access to all of Jonathan Galt's profiles and features. They're now being put behind the paywall on the front page. So go to letsrun.com slash subscribe. It's only like $1.50 a week. Come on, people. Support independent journalism. We appreciate it. All right, let's talk about some of the other distance races from this meet. I think going into the 2021 season, we all thought that Hillary Bohr and Mohamed Katia would be your distance winners in the first Diamond League meet of the season, right? Well, that's what happened. We had an American, Hillary Bohr, win the men's steeplechase in 8.30. This t- I mean, these times, again, just were greatly slowed due to the weather. They went out on 2.55 for the first kilometer in a Diamond League men's steeple. And he was helped out. Let's not, like, this was not, like, some stop-the-presses moment in American distance running, an American winning a Diamond League, because... This wasn't the highest of quality field. Sufyan Elbakali, who was the favorite, he had some travel issues. He didn't make it there. So he beat, you know, Hillary Boy. He beat a couple of 8-0 guys in Lenapet and Jalal Badrani. But it was, you know, it wasn't a loaded field. But he did get the win. He kicked away to win pretty well over the last lap. And I thought this was a great sign for him. You know, he got out kicked by Isaac Updike and Mason Furlick when he raced in Eugene last month. So to see him commandingly win this race even though the time wasn't fast I, I was pretty impressed I think this is a good step forward for Hillary Bohr on the other hand his teammate Stanley Cabane looked awful ended up he was getting dropped at 255 pace and then ended up dropping out he didn't run well in Eugene either I think he's in serious trouble less than a month out from the trials this was a great run for me I mean one month ago Bohr's running the USATF Grand Prix getting third place against two Americans who I'm not sure will be on the Olympic team. Here he is, Diamond League. Sure, it's not a A-plus field, but like, John, as you said, two eight o guys. Three. There's actually a third in there. They start out super slow, and even in that weather, he runs 8.30 and like dispatches everybody uh, at the end. He has time to sort of celebrate the first Diamond League win for Hoke Oneone. Congrats there to them. And... I mean, in one month, he's come a long way. I mean, the time is eight seconds slower, but I'm putting him on the U.S. Olympic team right now. So do we go there now? Yeah, we got to go there now. 
if Sean McGordy saw on the Olympic team as well, the other big news is this weekend, the Portland Track Festival, Evan Jager has been removed from the steeplechase starting list. So we've got one spot open on the Olympic team. Guys, are you worried Evan Jager will not be on the 2020 U.S. Olympic team? Well, I'm not willing to just put Hillary Ball right on the team. I think that Updike and Furlick are in the mix. I don't think this is a slam dunk. They're, they're locks. But I am starting to get worried about Jager because I talked to him a couple weeks ago for the Sean McGordy profile I wrote, and Evan said he felt pretty good right winning 2K of the steeple at Mount Sac. He's, he said, look, we're going to go out to Portland Trap Festival. I'll get the Olympic standard because, remember, he still doesn't have the Olympic standard. And he seemed to be, you know, he was dealing with a little bit of a nagging Achilles issue, but it's not as serious as the foot injury that cost him all of 2019. He seemed to be mentally in a pretty good place going into Portland Track Festival. And I asked him, are you, are you definitely running that? And he said, well, I, I want, you know, I'm planning on it, but with Jerry, it's never, you're never 100% sure until, you know, a couple days before the race. Well, here we are a couple days before the race. He's not on the entries anymore. I've tried reaching out to Evan and his agent, Tom Ratcliffe, haven't heard back exactly for the reason why he's not running there, but I would assume it has something to do with the Achilles issues he's been battling. And yeah, if, if Evan, look, he hasn't run a steeple since 2018. I still think he's, he's probably the guy to beat, but if you can't make it to the start line for a race that's less than a month out from the trials, I, I'm starting to get worried for sure. I agree, John. It's time to... to- to get worried and i'm getting worried about a lot of americans it's not just jager I, I, i'm so amazed that like everybody was running so well indoors and not necessarily jager but it just seems to me like the times aren't getting much faster outdoors and then a lot of people are hurt and injured jager shelby houlihan lopez where are these people are any of them entered this weekend john i haven't l- taken a look at this but this this is is concerning if jager starts the race at the olympic trials i'm still considering him I'm still putting him on the Olympic team because I don't care if he hasn't raced, but why wouldn't you be racing? He's obviously having problems, and that's not a good sign. So then you've got Bohr, you've got McGordy, you've got Furlick, you've got Updike. I mean, it's wide open. It's there for the taking, these spots. But this was a good, you know, a, a good, good performance by Bohr. Cabani, I'm sorry, he's not going to make the team. I mean, I, I don't know what's going on with him, but he couldn't even – last a thousand at 255 pace so i'm just concerned about a lot of these people john they need to race before the trials well they they are this weekend we've got shelby houlihan's running her first race of 2021 she's in the 1500 lopez lemong is running his first race of 2021 he's in the 5000 and donovan brazier who was scratched a couple times for meets this year he did run that 1500 in eugene in april but has yet to run an 800 outdoors this year. He's running the 800 at Portland Track Festival as well. So we are going to see some of the stars of U.S. distance running in this meet uh, doing sort of a systems check before the trials. And Robert said, oh, if Jager starts the race, I'm putting him on the team. I'm not at all because he's got to give it a shot no matter what at the trials. If you're not 100%, I think he's in enough fit. Well, unless he's seriously, seriously injured, but he's been, we've seen a couple races. I think he goes out there at this point in his career, and and even if he's eighty percent hobbles it and tries to give it a go, I mean we've seen that happen from athletes in the past who come in not fit, make teams. What year was that? I mean, I'm going to date myself now. Adam Goucher, the running with the Buffaloes, 
star showed up at the trials one year was ran the 5k prelims looked terrible got into the final on time was not an automatic qualifier barely made it and then went out in the final like three days later and finished top three to make the u.s olympic team so some guys with super talent somehow are able to put it together i mean that was one of the most amazing performances ever i think that bob kennedy was in that race it was crazy but i expect this is the olympics this isn't world championships i expect jager to toe the line pretty much no matter what at this point and turning to the women's side folks someone else who hasn't raced at all outdoors colleen quigley i'm worried about her as well heard she's not been running she's announced that her first race will be the trials so we have the big three. I think with her missing that much time, she's no longer a member of the big three. I've got uh, Coburn and Fryricks on the team. That third spot now is open. Now, Colleen is extremely tough. I've seen her battle through injuries before. I'm not saying she can't make the team, but I think Leah Falland and some of these other people that have been running in the high 820s have a much better shot than I would have told you at the beginning of the year. 920s. But John, let's talk about that other upset, Mohamed Katir. I mean, I know there was only one guy in this Diamond League men's 5,000 that had a PRPB f- f- under. He's not a guy I had heard of before 2021. Now, I, he first hit my radar back in Karlsruhe. He ran 735 for 3,000 meters. And I'm like, 730? Like, how is there a 735 guy I haven't heard of? Like, this is that's pretty freaking fast indoors. And... It was a big PR. He'd run 744 last year, but at the end of last year, his PRs were 336, 744, and 1350. And he's now lowered those to 333, 735, and 1308 in this race. And I I was very impressed. We went into this race thinking Nicholas Camelli, the 1251 Kenyan, is the guy to beat and probably should run away with this field, actually. And he kind of did. Like, Camelli beat everyone else by 10 seconds, the problem was Katia went with him, and then over the last lap, Katia kicked away from him. And he ran 13.08, which is a huge 42-second PR. Granted, he's only run you know, one 5K before then. But 13.08 in those conditions, I think, is probably worth sub-13 in good conditions. And he looked really... Like, this is pretty crazy, the improvement this guy, Moroccan-born Spaniard, has made in 2021. I agree. And with that type of speed, 3.33 in the 1500... Could he be someone in the mix for the like a bronze medal or something? I don't think it's crazy to think that. Um, now, I know what some of you are thinking. I mean, I've got a friend who said anytime they see a distance runner from North Africa, they assume they're on drugs. Just like a Russian distance woman. Call that xenophobic or unfair or whatever. But I'll just say this. he did, well, I have another friend who always says, I can tell who's on drugs by based on how they celebrate. He didn't celebrate like somebody who was on drugs. He really enjoyed this one. The passion coming out of him was great. It was it was fantastic TV. So congratulations to Mr. Katir. He could be someone that we need need to pay attention to. He's only twenty three. Became as you know started running for Spain at the end of twenty nineteen, beginning of the two thousand twenty season. Um, big win there. And the women's fifteen hundred, John Laura Muir. I mean, she destroyed everybody by four full seconds. And my first thought was, wait a minute. Did she get the Mo Farah treatment? You remember when Mo Farah used to sort of get to run these races where there was nobody in the field that could possibly beat him at home and, you know, pick up a big paycheck. But the field actually had, you know, a couple other sub-four women. I mean, Rabape Arafe, she finished fourth at Worlds one year, I think. She's run 358, winning Nanyando. Isn't that 
the gold medalist, right, John? Am I getting them confused? You are getting them confused. Uh, she was fourth in the 800 at the 2019 Worlds. Okay, she's more 800 girl, but but she's run 359, and then there's an uh, Ethiopian who was way back that was 359. But great win for Laura. I mean, she's in good form. I, I, she's been racing a lot. I think she needs to just settle down and start training for a little bit, but I'm, I'm happy to see her racing, racing well. She seems to be in good form. Yeah, I think the problem is, like, with a field like this, you got to get to have anyone competitive with Laura Muir. You've got to get one of the five best 1500 runners in the world and convincing them to fly out to run a Gateshead in crappy weather at the end of May. It's not always going to be easy. So, um, yeah, I mean, she went out, she dusted the field like we expected to her to as a good run. Anything else from Gateshead before we say bon, vi- bon voyage? Related to Gateshead, not actually from Gateshead, but did you guys see? We're talking about 1500. I mean, Gonzebe Baba. did you guys see what she did last weekend? I mean, she was the, wasn't she the silver medalist, John? Am I making that up? In, in what event? At where? What are you asking me, Robert? Gonzebe Baba, 2016 Olympic silver medalist. I mean, she's the world, she's run 350. She's somebody that could have, be a big factor in the 1500. She ran a 5,000 last week and was absolutely awful. Well, she hasn't been good at all this year. She she ran an indoor race in Poland in, in Torun in February, DNF'd it. Then she ran Ostrava. She was in the 1500. They asked for 355 pace in this race. She didn't go with it. And then once she got past the bell, she DNF'd. I mean, DNFing a 1500 is just flat out embarrassing. And then she goes out and sneaks under the Olympic standard at 5,000. But yeah, she's... She's not in good form. I mean, I kind of thought she'd do better in the 5K because remember last fall, she ran 65-18 in half marathon debut in Valencia. I thought like, oh, maybe she's moving up, but she hasn't been running well this year. Well, I don't get so. She ran in Spain. She, I don't know if we said the time. 1509-61, second place. Got beat by Lim Lim Hailu, who ran 15.02. So he got destroyed in that race. And I, I just don't understand. This doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why would she have a rabbit run out 355 pace and then drop out? So does she not generally, if you're that experienced or discipline, you have some idea what type of shape you're in. So who's coaching or who's her agent? Why, why do you set up a race like that? So, you know, I, I'm, I mean, and with hers, who could, if you know, a John Auden coached athlete, although she probably claims is John Auden coaching her. Do we know who's coaching her, but could totally turn around that quickly. Maybe it would be someone like that, but I'm writing her off barring something extra- incredibly suspicious. Um, but the third placer in this race in Spain also was very interesting to me. Francine Nianzaba, the intersex athlete who used to medal all the time, Oregon Track Club member. Um, she's obviously can't run in the 800 anymore with the new rules. She's trying to make the Olympic team, I guess, in the 5,000. She just missed the standards, 1510. She ran 1512.08. And I've said this before. I do not think that the intersex athletes really should be well, particularly the transgender women should be allowed to compete in elite athletics. I, I just don't think that's fair. I think they'll never have a period. They'll never have a baby. I just, they're transgender women. We can call them she. I have great personal respect for them. It must be very difficult to have a life like that. It's the same thing for the intersex women, um, although I'm more sympathetic to them um, a little bit. But I have great respect for Francine. I mean, and I feel for her more than much more so than I do Caster Semenya. Caster Semenya is a global icon. She's made a ton of money from Nike. 
and other endorsers. And I just don't know how much money Nian Saba has made over the years. I know she's won a lot of medals, but she hasn't been winning. She hasn't doesn't have the same global profile. So I'm kind of rooting for her to make the Olympics, which I know kind of goes against my other thoughts on this on this matter. If she makes it and gets to go and maybe keeps her contract, I think that's fine. Um, it's kind of not intellectually honest for me, but I kind of like her story. So c- congrats to her. She obviously loves to run. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard for me to imagine she still doesn't have an advantage, uh, 5,000 compared to what she would. If I guess it's kind of, uh, it's hard to, it's just me postulating if it's not really based in science. But She's got an advantage, John, for being intersex, but she's not a 5,000 meter right, runner. Right. So if, if you, she's not going to be winning a gold it, medal. It, it, if you told if you told David Radisha, hey buddy, you can't run the eight hundred anymore, but guess what? We'll let you run the five thousand. I mean, he'd be lucky to make the team. Right. No, I, I respect her going for it. Um, and fifteen twelve, you would figure if she gets in maybe a diamond league or a fast race between now and the Olympics, she'll hit that fifteen ten standard and, and make it to Tokyo. I feel for Francine as well. I mean, you're a perennial medalist at eight hundred meters, and then your livelihood is just taken from you by new rules that are put in place and i don't think that we know the full story with all this intersex stuff like there's been a disproportionate amount of intersex women in the 800 meters and as the rules stand now you can't run 800 or 1500 right but you can run other events so i think we're still figuring stuff out about this but to me the intersex women competing sport it's it is a different it's related but it's different than transgender women so all right, there was one other meet on Sunday, actually, televised nationally on NBC, the street meet in Boston, the Adidas Boost Boston Games. I did not get to go. They did not allow media or spectators at this meet. But, you know, there, there were some interesting storylines to emerge from this as well, and particularly regarding two former world champions, Noah Lyles and Wade Van Niekirk. I guess we'll start with Lyles. He was in the 100, and... I kind of just figured, okay, most of these times, Adidas, they'll put one of their stars in the races. They'll, you know, come out, they'll get a win, and, you know, everyone's happy. And he he didn't get a win. He got smoked, actually, by Isaiah Young in the 100 meters. And Isaiah Young ran really well, 994 on a street meet track. I think that's a pretty impressive time. Noah Lyles was second in 10.10. And Noah Lyles has now run 300s. 300 meter finals in 2021. Uh, he hasn't broken his fastest time in any of those finals is 10.08. He did run 10.03 in the prelims in Boston. But I guess, what are we thinking about this performance? I went into the 2021 pretty confident Noah Lyles is going to make the team in, in the 100 meters. And he says he's been doing more training this year. His workouts have been tougher. He's been doing much more volume to prepare for that 100, 200 double in in Eugene. So maybe he'll peak and surprise us, but I haven't been particularly impressed by what he's shown me at hundred meters so far this year. I haven't been impressed what I've seen from 100 or 200, John. Remember he ran that stinker indoors. Wasn't it like 20.7? I'm starting to worry. I mean, coming into the, year, I was handing him the gold medal in the 200. I'm starting to worry. Is it possible somehow that he doesn't even make the team at all? This guy was supposed to be a global star. I was thinking he could rise up to sort of become, I'm John hates the comparisons, the next bolt, not really a bolt, but he's got the personality. I thought he'd be a huge star I, right now. 
I know that he beat Kenny Benarek, and I know Kenny is racing a ton, and Kenny's the best 200-meter guy right now going. He's winning all the Diamond Leagues. He did beat him a week ago, but I thought Kenny went out too hard. I just, for some reason, think the way it looks right now, I don't think he's going to make the team at 100, and I don't even think he's, I don't think he's going to win the gold medal in the 200. So that could all change. You know, this could be a Lance Brahman thing where he's really actually training them properly for that double. And you pointed this out earlier, John, a few months ago. Lyles does have a history of starting sort of slower in the, in the 100 and putting up the big times. But I kind of, so I wasn't worried initially when, I, when you told me that. But the fact that they're not getting better here. But after the race, he said, oh, I have trust in my coach. But he did admit, hey, this is the first time I've had this coach for an Olympic cycle. So we'll see. We'll I see. think it's fascinating because you see you see the different approaches. Shikari Richardson comes out in April. She's running 10-7. And she's just, a, she's mowing down fields. She's looking incredible. And I'm like, wow, this is great. She's she's going to be, win the Olympic, be the Olympic favorite. But you got to remember, the Olympics are not in April. They're in August. And we've seen this before. Michael Norman, 2019, he comes out, runs 43-4 in April. Everyone's going to hand, hands him the gold medal. He doesn't even make the final in the 400 meters. So I think... You know, yes, I'm starting to get a little worried with Noah Lyles just because you do need to be really good to make the American team at 100 meters. And we're now less than a month out from the trials and he's getting beat by Isaiah Young, who's not a guy I expect to make that team. So that is concerning to me. But like you said, it might just be part of the Lance Brown and master plan that he's putting him through a ton of work. But then he comes through and he starts looking amazing after the rounds in Eugene and they get into Tokyo. So I'm not counting him out. And I still, I expect him to be on the team. I think I'd still pick him to win the 200 meter gold medal, but Kane Bignarek's been running really well. Terrence Laird of LSU has been incredible this year. So I, I just think it makes it more interesting for the trials. I too, like Robert started wondering like, is there a chance he doesn't make the Olympic team, but he beat Bidnarek two weeks ago and the 200 to be shocking if he doesn't make the team the 100 he's not looking that great but if you look back two years ago he ran a bunch of hundreds like he has this year at the start of the season they weren't that impressive until he got to doha some warm weather stuff started coming down so we're probably panicking a little bit but phew, that's the beauty of the sport right you, you got to be ready starting june 18th and the U.S. is pretty much by far the best country in the 200. I mean, nobody else in the, in the world can really even break 20, and we've got a ton of guys that do it all the time. I mean, it's crazy. The 2016 Olympics, how in God's name, 20.02 got you the silver medal, and 20.12 got you the bronze medal. At the Olympics, everybody shows up, and only Mr. Usain Bolt was able to break 20, and he won by a ton. So we kind of, I kind of take it for granted. I mean, Lyles can kind of run 19.9 and sleep. But I was really hoping this year he would take that next jump and maybe go down there into the Usain Bolt category, approach the world record. And I don't think we're going to see that. You know, remember, he only, it was, what was his winning time in 2019? 19.83. And that was one of the slowest times he had run all year. It's just when you get to championships after a long season and then three rounds of the 200 at the championship meet, yeah, sometimes you get worn down. So Lyles, yeah, he's the world champion. But then the uh, speaking of world champions, Wade Van Niekerk, he comes back. He's now training in Noah Lyles' group. He's been with them for a couple weeks now down in Florida. And he comes into this 200 meters, and we think, oh, this is going to be a great showdown. We've got Wade Van Niekerk, the 2017 world champion in 400, against Stephen Gardner, who is the 2019 world champion in the 400. And didn't quite work out that way. Gardner ended up pulling out because he he fell down earlier in a week, in a, earlier in the week in a meet in Fort Worth and didn't end up finishing. So I assume that's why he scratched this meet in Boston. And then Wade Van Niekirk 
pulls up about 30 meters from the finish line in Boston in the straight 200 and limps around then afterwards. And I'm starting to get worried because he's limping on his left leg, which means that it's the right leg is the problem. And that's the one where he tore his ACL and meniscus in 2017. So I start panicking. I'm like, oh my God, is this this a problem? You know, he seemed like he was pretty confident going in. Then Lewis Johnson reports, no, he's actually doing okay. He, He didn't have to have assistance. He walked back to the hotel, which was down the street. And then afterwards, Wade Neekirk, Van Neekirk tweeted out, he said, thanks for the care. I am well, nothing serious. I tightened up a bit, so didn't push it. So it was more precautionary. Still a little concerning to me, though. You don't want to, like, if you're starting to feel something like that, you don't want, you know, you, you have that doubt in your mind. It, it's not a, it wasn't a great sign that Wade Van Neekirk had to pull up lame in this 200-meter race. No particularly three days after Stephen Gardner also pulled up. I mean, it was not a good week for Adidas. I mean, someone started a thread on the message board saying Adidas spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on this meet and their star Noah Lyles gets beat by a Nike B teamer. Wade Van Neeker gets hurt and, and, and Stephen Gardner didn't even, it wasn't able to run this race, but you know, it's interesting to me, John, in the sense of this is another event that's going to be absolutely amazing at the Olympic games. If everybody's there because Wade Van Neeker, Steven Gardner, um, Michael Norman, and then Fred Curley, by definition, one of those people will not win a medal. At least one of them will not win a medal. Those are all people who at some yeah, I, I would I would put all of those people, all four of them in my mind are capable of breaking the world record in that event. This is why the Olympics is so amazing. If you get everybody in there, and this is part of the problem that we don't get in some of the distance races is because it gets scattered because people end up going to different events. I mean, you do see to sometimes see it in the sprints, but all these guys are going to be aiming for the 400. So, you know, it should be pretty cool there. Um, In the other events at this Adidas Boston games, you know, we had a couple road races that were intriguing um, in the sense of they had some big names. And in the women's 600, Natoya Gole, who I've been sort of hyping. I mean, she's dropped her 1,500-meter PR down to 407. She's never had good endurance. I'm like, how is she going to stack up against LJ Wilson? And you watched this race, John. It wasn't close. What would you say? I don't like the way they listed results. It says 124 to 126, but then LJ really ran 125.1. How big of a gap was it, John? Five meters? Yeah, I mean, it was fairly it was fairly convincing win. It wasn't like they were duking it out right to the line. Gole sort of started breaking away with maybe – 150 to go or something and i was like wow aj i was like aj's just letting her go and yeah she beat her fair and square so big result for her and then you know the the mile as well i found that interest the men's mile i thought was interesting because clayton murphy now he raced in new york city on friday night at the nyc qualifier and he only got seventh in that 800 and he ran 147 and i saw that result i didn't actually watch that race live but i saw the results i'm like what is that's disastrous like seventh place 147 what's what's up with that for clayton murphy and then he comes back he gets the win here beats sam prakel eric avila and marcin Lewandowski, who is the world championship bronze medalist at 1500 but i gotta say my takeaway it's a mixed bag for murphy i think on the one hand it's a good sign that he came back and won this road race you know shows he can still kick but just getting you know getting seventh in an 800 you know again a month out from the trials i'm kind of concerned by that result 
I see what you're saying, John, but the fact that he won the mile was big for me. I mean, the 800, I'm like, whoa, what's wrong with Murphy? But to me, look, he did two races this weekend. He clearly wanted to practice sort of the Olympic trials thing where you're doing a number of races in a couple of days. You know, you run one day on Friday, the next day on Sunday. So I think this was good. The fact that he beat this field, someone's like, oh, who'd he beat? I'm like, he beat Marcin Lewandowski. I mean, Lewandowski, hello, Jacob Ingebrigtsen fanboys. Oh, do you remember what happened at the Worlds? Lewandowski ran 331 and beat Ingebrigtsen for the final medal. So it's not like he's a scrub. Now, I don't know if, if Lewandowski was going through the motions on this one. I mean, to me, it's kind of crazy. He won the 1500 in you know, last week um, in 335. And then he's got to get on a plane and fly to Boston in the middle of a pandemic to, to you know. And I get what Adidas is trying to do. Like, they want to make this their pre classic, but. There's no spectators. There's no fans. Adidas, save the ten grand that you spend on having to fly him over there and make him interrupt his training. Why don't you actually build a super spike? Because if some of these athletes don't have super spikes, they're screwed for the Olympics. People are talking about Drew Hunter. There's a big threat on Let's Run about what's up with Drew Hunter. I'm like, does it really matter? If Adidas does not come out with a super spike in the next three weeks, no Adidas athlete in the world would have a chance at the U.S. trials. I mean, like you – you could put Grant Fisher in a pair of Adidas and he's not going to be able to make up five seconds and make that team. So it's just kind of interesting. So I'm glad that they, I do think it's, you know, at, shoe companies need to make athletes run some meets and obviously running your, your marquee meet is fine. But during the pandemic, if you're not going to have it during the TV window and you're going to have a road mile with no spans, I would let Marcin Lewandowski stay home. Well, Robert, just start, stop spouting just sort of stuff. They've said they're going to have a super spike. If they don't buy the trials, I would expect athletes to defect. But even you could give it a go. It's five seconds probably in a time trial environment. In a tactical race that comes down to the last second, it may not be five seconds. It might make a subtle difference. So some athletes may not defect. But that would be interesting if they don't have it ready by the trials. Defect? I've talked to a coach. I said, why doesn't your athlete just wear something else? He's like, well, his contact would probably be canceled. He might be sued. Robert, at some point, you know, do you want to make the Olympic team or not? So some people might be willing a lesser athlete, I guess Adidas doesn't have any lesser athletes, sort of, they don't have that many people they sponsor. Well, maybe like a Preco or somebody might be like, F it, I want to make my best shot to make the Olympics, I'm going to take my chance. But, I don't know, a couple of things. Natoya Ghoul beating Ajay Wilson at 600, not that shocking to me. She's a better 400 meter runner. Um, This meet in general, though, like Steven Gardner might be glad he didn't run it. Like that track looks dangerous to me. It looks like they're bouncing around on the old boards at BU. Some sprinter let me know, but like there's like weird, it's not even one surface. I, I don't know how much, how much stock I put also on the times run there. Like it's bouncing around. It's very different than a, than a hard Mondo track. So I don't know. I'd love to hear some sprint people email us just sort of what they think about it, whether you put too much time on that, but also can that lead to injuries? I mean, I'm wondering if this might be the last year of, of this meet after watching it. And I know, um, like, oh, John, I'm thinking of names I can't think of right now. Usain Bolt. Johan Blake. Johan Blake has complained about this surface before in the past. And now we have Wade Van Nieker coming up injured. Like, what if we just had a, a traditional track meet in somewhere? But uh, I don't know. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the surface. Steven Gardner got hurt on a regular track last week. I just think you're looking for – well, he's mad at me for bashing Adidas. Now he's bashing them for the track. 
I enjoyed watching the meet. I was happy it was on national television. It was good. And I thought the hurdlers in particular, Kenny Harrison, Grant Holloway, they've been on fire this year and they they both look terrific uh, winning their races as well. So yeah, it is a pity there weren't fans there, but it was like you said, it's good to see track on TV. Actually, your, your theory about Clayton Murphy that he was maybe treating that 800 on Friday is maybe like a prelim and the, the road mile on Sunday is a final. I mean, I don't know if that's what he was doing, but that actually kind of makes more sense to me and might explain why he got beat. Like he got beat by Vincent Crisp and Quamel Prince and Eric Swinsky. You know, these are not guys who should be beating Clayton Murphy. So maybe that explains it. All right. But he he was perfectly posed in that race. I mean, he was there 100 meters to go and just got beat. It wasn't like he got boxed or tactics or anything. I mean, I watched it. And you guys, you know, we're talking, we, earlier we mentioned athletes who you might be worried about. Robert just mentioned a big Adidas athlete, Drew Hunter. Have you guys, I have a Drew Hunter update, guys. Have you heard about Drew Hunter? What's Drew Hunter up to? Are you worried? I don't know what to be, I, he hasn't been racing. So I don't, I don't have any idea what's up to him apart from he's not working with Tim Man anymore. Right. And there's been a couple threads. The whole Tinman thread spiraled out. So I think the moderators have been cracking down a bit too much. They don't want the point of let's run isn't to let someone just be constantly bashed, but there should be a thread allowing Drew Hunter, who's on a multi million dollar contract with Adidas, to be discussed. So I restored a thread, and in it, I found a link to a YouTube video. I'm now one of 25 people who have watched this video. And I'm going to play a couple cl- a clip from it. So there's that segment. Let me jump ahead. You know, feeling as good as I can. So, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's it, at the end of the day, it's like at the end, like everyone's dealing with yeah. stuff when you show up to start. Yeah. And you're, you're a good racer too. You were like Frank. I mean, you were able to. Did you guys hear that in? You're like Frank. I did. Care to elaborate? Do you guys know any Franks in Boulder? Frank Shorter. Yeah, and it pans, and I see this guy on the screen for like briefly one second. It's Drew Hunter and Frank Shorter. They're like in his garage or something, and they're, I, I check out this YouTube channel. I'll, we'll put a link to it. It's called Running Spirit of Boulder. Correction, 41 people have now watched this video. And I guess it's run by uh, Michael Sandrock, who used to write for the Boulder Daily Camera and has written some running books. He's a big running junkie, and I guess he's starting this YouTube thing. The Drew Hunter thing is very short, but there's a 28-minute talk with Frank Shorter, which I haven't listened to. But so it's official. We knew something was wrong with Drew because he hasn't been racing. So it sounds like planner, a little bone issue. You know, he's saying, I'll be ready when it counts, but it's like Evan Jager. If you haven't been racing, I'm not very confident in your place. And he doesn't have the talent advantage that Jager has on the rest of the field. So I don't, Drew Hunter, I do not think will be on the U.S. Olympic team this year. Well, I will point out in Drew's defense, he was not healthy, not 100% healthy when he made the team in 2019. But I do think this team is going to be a lot tougher to make. More people have the standards. So yeah, I mean, I'm, if you're not racing, like you said, I am going to write him off just because this field's so deep. But. I don't know. I'm interested to see what he he does when he shows up. I mean, again, he did make the team two years ago. I wasn't expecting him to make the team. It's much much more likely he doesn't make the final than he makes the team. 
Or is it a straight final? No, there's prelims in the 5K. Speaking of high school stars, Robert teased this in the intro. We talked about the New York City qualifier, and I want to talk about the 800 meters at this meet. And not the A section with the pros, with uh, Safan Hassan, and not the B section either. I want to talk about... This was essentially, I think it was supposed to be the C heat coming in, and it was won by Royzen Willis, who is 16 years old, American high schooler. She ran two flat, 0.78. It was the fastest time of the day in the 800. It's the fourth. She's now number four all-time on the high school list behind Mary Kane, Kim Gallagher, and Sammy Watson. And really impressive stuff for her. A couple other high schoolers, Sophia Gararian, was in this race. She she was fifth place in 202, and Juliet Whitaker was third in 201.34. So really fast running, but I mean, Royce and Willis, too flat as a 16-year-old. I mean, that's, that's incredible running. Well, I think it's always fun. All three of them do have the Olympic trial standard. I think it's always fun to have the teenagers. I remember Jordan to say she was such a big deal with her long hair and small body at the Olympic trials when she was in high school. The, the Eugene crowd always sort of likes to support them. Um, so it's fun to have them in there. I thought, John, as a Brit, if you were going to talk about Team Phenoms, you would you would be talking about the Ostrava meet. Max Bergen, what is he, 19? He just t- he turned 19 the day after that meet. So he was 18. Yeah, ran 144-14 from the, from the front, too. Just went for it and dusted this field of pros. I was really impressed he held them off. I mean, I, I guess I wasn't going to talk about Estrava because it was just it was a week ago at this point. But he wins the 800, and then Keely Hodgkinson, the other British team phenom, runs 158, and she wins the women's 800. So really good run for both of those Brits and Estrava. And since we did mention Estrava, we probably should point out the fact that Joshua Cheptegei did not break the world record there. We talked about it in the last a lot in last week's show. Broke it down on the Friday 15, but went for it. But man, that's a tough, tough record. But I, I think y'all seemed, I, I was listening to y'all talk about it on the Friday 15 about Paul Chalimo. The American went with Chalimo, I mean, went with Cheptegei for, you know, 800 or so and then fell back, ran 740. Y'all seemed very concerned by that. I, I, I wasn't concerned by it. I think he's in pretty good shape. The fact that he was willing to try to go with Cheptegei shows A, he's got big balls, and B, he fades a 740. Okay, so in good conditions, he can run in the 730s. That's fit enough to make the team. So I, I'm feeling good about his chances in the 5,000, which, I mean, I guess an Olympic silver medalist making the team isn't a shock, but that race, if anything, made me feel better about his chances than what I was before him. Speaking of Rosen Willis, you guys said American high schooler. Her mother was an Irish Olympian at 5,000 meters. So I assume that means she could compete for Ireland if she wanted I mean, she's still got a ways to go to get the Olympic standard. I think it's 159.6 or something like that. But, I mean, that's your easier route to the Olympics. Hit that standard and run for Ireland. And I was kind of wondering how she's in the B heat, cause, or C, excuse me, C heat. Because I'm like, she's been good. She's a high scorer. Remember, she did really well as Milrose as a freshman. But I forget, there's a huge difference between, well, a thing Mo and some of these others. <laughs> accepted between a really good high school and a pro. I mean, her best was 203 before this. So a huge step up in class. Yeah, now that I'm reading it, she this may have actually been the B heat. I may have uh, c- contributed some fake news, but it was not the A heat. That was Sifan Hassan, and she only ran 201. So still pretty crazy and impressive. 
Should we do a little Doha preview here, guys? Because normally, you know, normally we do our previews for meets on the Friday 15, but this meet is going to be going off at high noon Eastern time on Friday in Doha, the second Diamond League meet of the 2021 season. And we're going to be following that up with our Friday 15. We'll have our post-race reactions and then we'll preview the Portland Track Festival a little bit. So I think we should talk about some of the races in Doha now, and we've got some good ones. I mean, if you look, Emma Coburn is making her season debut, uh, her steeplechase debut. It's her first steeple since the 2019 Worlds. Timothy Chariot's in the 1500. You've got a duel between Rye Benjamin and Abdurrahman Samba in the 400 hurdles. But to me, the race I can't wait to see is the men's 400 meters. You've got Michael Norman, Fred Curley, Karani James, who ran 44-7 to win in Ostrava, and then Anthony Zambrano. Do either of you guys know who Anthony Zambrano is? Isn't that the silver medalist from South America? He is the silver medalist. He is, in fact, not only from the continent of South America, but the country of Colombia. Uh, he's only 23 years old, but he's run 44-1-5. He did that in Doha to get silver in front of Curly. So he's in this race, too. I mean, I think Norman versus Curly, I'd be excited enough just for that. But then throw in Karate James and Zambrano as well, and <laughs> I think this is going to be a, a terrific race. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. I mean, I, we talked about the 400, how good it is before. I forgot about Karani James. I mean, that event is so amazing this year. It's going to be unreal. I mean, I don't think there's, we don't spend a lot of time in this Doha preview, but Johnny, you talk about the women's steeple, Coburn. It's the top five people from Worlds. Chip Kowicz, Coburn, Kraus, Krause, Yavi, Chimichai. I mean, that's a sick, sick field, but I'm really excited to see Timothy Chiriot. We saw Ingebrigtsen last week. This is what I like about the early season. I just like to see like a little bit from the stars, maybe not head-to-head, and then we get some doubt what's going on. But how does Chariot look? Remember, Manangoy's gone. His training partner's been banned. Um, so McSwain's in here so we can kind of have a transitive property to see how it, how he stacks up. Track fans love the transitive property. So, yeah, that's great. You know, the 400 hurdles, anytime those guys, Benjamin and Samba race, you have a chance at the world record. Um Faith Kipiagon is going to run the 800, Helena Berry the 3,000, so that's sick. And then domestically, the stars aren't going to be traveling Doha, the distance runners, but you got Central in the 800 and 1500 this weekend. As you said, Brazier is going to be running the 800. Shelby Houlihan, it's about time she raced. Lamong, same thing. And Galen Rupp in the 10,000. So a lot to get to. I guess we can por- break down Portland Tractor Festival on the Friday 15, and we'll recap Doha on that show. But some cool stuff. I want to talk about a few other things though, John. I mean, is there anything else you want to see about Doha? Yes, there are some things I want to say. This 400 is like absolutely tremendous. I mean, Fred Curley's like number two in the world right now in the hundred. I mean, he got a nice win with one of those, but like he's never been a hundred meter runner versus Karani James versus Michael Norman. Now I, I just, I think this could be the coming out party of Fred Curley. I mean, the collegiate scene, we've seen him do it before, but that 100 speed to me is just shocking. I mean, he's a big dude. So I'm really looking forward to this 400. I mean, the 400 hurdles, who knows? I mean, these, these guys could, it's always kind of a world record watch, right? When these guys start racing, but the 400, like Curly, this 100 is kind of throwing me off my traditional analysis. Yeah, but are we forgetting that last year, Michael Norman also took up the 100 and ran 9.86, which is even faster than what Fred Curley's run. And he's looked decent. You know, he he won in, in Eugene and Mount Sac 44s. 
Uh, his loss, his two times outside this season, Michael Norman did. So I'm very excited. I think there's a nice little rivalry there because, you know, Fred Curley wins the NCAA title in 2017. He breaks the collegiate record. Michael Norman, the next year, breaks his collegiate record, follows him up as NCAA champion. Then 2019, everyone comes into USA's. We kind of think, oh, Michael Norman, he's the guy to beat now. He's the standard bearer in the 400. Guess what? Fred Curley beats him at USA's. Now, I think Michael Norman's a little beat up, but they got a nice little rivalry brewing there, and now we get to see them battle it out here, and then we'll get the, at the trials and most likely at the Olympic Games as well. So I'm very eager to see those two guys square off in Doha. And it's also interesting, like I said, Curly, you know, the world will get to know who he is. I mean, he was the bronze medalist at the Worlds, but the U.S., our sprinters are so good. If you don't win the gold, I don't know. I'm like, oh, Michael Norman had the better season that year, which he clearly didn't, but he ran so damn fast in yeah. April? April. May? April? It's just like, <laughs> I still think of like, oh, that was the year of Michael Norman, which it wasn't. Yeah, and then I will say one other meet is the... I'm going to have, we're going to have boots on the ground here, guys. For the first time since September, I will be going to a track meet in person. The Platinum to PT qualifier in Massachusetts. We've got Ellie Purrier is running there. Justin Knight, a few other. Um, Molly Huddle is in that meet. So I'm planning on going down there and watching this meet and hopefully doing a few interviews, but it'll, it'll be nice. It's only the second meet I've covered in person since quarantine began. Have fun there, John. You should flash your fully vaccinated car to put people at ease. It is kind of crazy back to that 400, Curly and Norman. I kind of always assume that the NCAA 400 champion ends up winning like a big-time medal, probably gold at Worlds or the Olympics. I mean, way back to the days of when I was in high school and college, like Quincy Watts just went straight from NCAAs to like Olympic gold. But Curly's only won a bronze, and Norman's never won anything. So it's kind of interesting. Okay, we did have a couple sad stories we got to get to with some deaths. But before we do that, Cam Levins, John has put this in the show notes, has run 2.10.14 in the marathon in Australia in poor condi- Austria in poor conditions. But this is kind of interesting because he's got the standard, but there's four Canadians with the standard. And I'm sorry, I don't... He's the second fastest, but I don't think I put him on the team. You got Trevor Hofbauer's run 209.51. He's on the team automatically. Cam Levins, 210.14. He is the national record holder from 2018. So it depends on how fast you want to go back. But Ben Preissner's run 210.17 and Tristan Woodfin, 210.51. Both beat Levins in marathons in the last year, right? At the Marathon Project and at London. So how many marathons has Levin's run in the last year? He ran the Marathon Project, London, and this one? Yes, he did. Now, I think it's really impressive what Cam Levin's did because he did not... Remember, he breaks the Canadian record, which had stood for four decades. He breaks that in his debut in Toronto in 2018, but that's before the Olympic qualifying window opens up. So he still needs to get the Olympic standard. And he tries for it in Toronto in 2019. He only runs 215. He tries for it in London last year, terrible weather. He ends up DNFing. He tries for it again in the Marathon Project, runs 212, so misses it again. So he takes his fourth crack at the standard in Austria. And this, I don't know if you saw the video of this, like there was like hail or sleet, like it was miserable. And yet he goes out there and runs 210. And heroic performance to get the standard, you know, really impressive. But the problem is. There are a bunch of Canadians who are running fast these days. Like you would think, usually I think if there's four, if there's three 
guys from Canada who get the stand, that's going to be your team. But now you've got four. And like you said, Cam Levin's lost head-to-head to Ben Preissner and Tristan Woodfine, even though he has the second fastest time in this window. So it's it's a heck of a tough decision here for Athletics Canada. Do you leave off Levin's? who's been running around the world to chase the standard, but also lost head-to-head to the other two guys. But Levens also has a faster time in shitty conditions. But then, you know, Tristan Woodfine, he ran 210.51 in London. That was pretty terrible conditions too. Whereas Ben Preissner, he ran 210.17, but that was perfectly manicured conditions to run as fast as possible. So it's really a headache for Athletics Canada. The Ben Price guy, I think, might be the one who could get left off. It's either him or Levens, I would think. Why? Because the marathon project conditions were perfect. Levens has, I assume, I don't need to look him up, better track credentials. I don't know this other guy's credentials, but drop a minute off Levens' time because of the weather in this thing. Yeah, but then Ben would say, hey, Cam was in the marathon project too, and guess what? I beat him by over a minute. So what's your answer to that? Yeah, I go with that, John. The more I think about it, I actually might put Cam over Woodfin. I know Cam lost to him, but Cam, Cam was a DNF. Are we, are we penalizing him for trying to get a standard out of the way early in the process? He doesn't get it. I mean, it depends on what you want. This is why I don't like these. These There's no right answer to this. Who do I think has the most upside in this? Cam over any of these other guys, obviously, I, I would say. But, you know, if you're Woodfin, you're like, also, it's a short turnaround now from this. You've only got, what? Two and a half months? Less than that? Yeah. Someone's going to go home devastated. I feel really awful for the guy who doesn't get on the team out of those three because they all have a pretty decent case for it. And it's just like the head-to-head. You punish someone for dropping out. We're not. I mean, I guess I think the fairest thing, honestly, is to leave Levens off the team just because he did lose head-to-head to to both of these guys. But uh, he's... He's probably the most talented of the three of them. He is the national record holder. It's just, it's real. Oh, that's the other thing. He's the national record holder. And he ran that just two years before the Olympics. Three, yeah, three years before the Olympics. But, oh, it's tough. All right, a couple sad stories. Ron Hill, second man in history to run under 209, former winner of the Boston Marathon, guy famous for running for 52 years in a row, has died. Um, And a lot of people pay tribute to him. Uh, Dave McGilroy, the Boston Marathon director, um, says he's not sure he would have gotten into running and ever run Boston if it wasn't for being him being inspired by Ron Hill in 1970. Actually, here in Baltimore, I read a cool article from like Ron Hill ran the Maryland Marathon, which was here in Baltimore a number of years. I think Bill Rogers ran it one year. It used to be a big race. He won it several times. It's kind of cool. So sad story there. And I was reading in Race Results Weekly, David Monty said there's another guy that on July 4th of this year will beat Ron Hill's record or tie it on July 4th and then beat it in 52 years. Now, should we start a petition that this guy just equal the record and not beat it, John? Like he stops on July 4th? Or would Ron be upset and want this guy to beat his record? Are you kidding me? This guy has dedicated over half a century to running every single day and then you're demanding that this thing that probably defines his life he must bring it to an end just so he doesn't break the record. I mean, he's probably been thinking about this record every day for the last 30 years. So, no, I don't think he should have to stop and tie the record. It is kind of funny. It's on July 4th. That's, you know, one of the famous, the big running days in this country with, you know, firecracker 5Ks and stuff like that. 
road races. But John, if he's been thinking about this record for 30 years and he's been thinking evil thoughts of Ron Hill because he had to think Ron Hill was running 30 years ago. So he had at some point he had to think, well, I hope Ron Hill dies so I can eventually beat the record. <laughs> I think we're ascribing a little bit too much malice here. But no, Ron Hill, I would check out if you haven't read it. Uh, Roger Robinson wrote a great obituary of him in Runner's World and it talked about just a bunch of these things. I didn't, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know he had a, a he was a how much of a pioneer he was. I knew about the streak. I knew he was a very good runner. I knew he was a Boston champ. But Roger Robinson writes he pioneered many developments that are now in regular use, like synthetic apparel, meshed vests for ventilation, freedom shorts. I don't actually know what freedom shorts are, and reflective strips for safety when running in the dark. So. And he said he he was the first world ranked runner to use carbo loading and marathon preparation. Uh, you know, it was pretty cool to uh, hear some of these things that this guy, you know, Ron Hill was just such ahead of way ahead of his time for. And can you tell me what are freedom shorts? Does anyone know what those mean? If you know, email the show pod at let's run.com and we'll feature it on next week's show. And the other really sad story last week was this ultra marathon in China up in the mountains. 21 people have died. I still don't think this story's gotten enough publicity. I feel like if this was in the West somewhere, it would be like all over CNN and all these types of things. I mean, that's 12, more than 12% of the field has died, including like elites, like a lot of the elites. Like when I first read this, I was like, what do you mean 21 people? That's a ton of people. How do they all die? And I was reading about it. Like the bad weather comes in really quickly and you can go hypothermic really quickly. The thread on this, we'll link to this in the show notes is pretty fascinating. And, you know, I don't like in podcasts how everyone makes it about themselves. But, you know, one time I was running in Ithaca. We had this race, this this run called Stone Car. And it was only like a 15-mile run. But coming down, one time my hands felt like they were going to die. It was raining. It was like 40, 35 degrees. And I was like, uh, you know, but then like I got down and it was like 10 minutes later, I was fine. But I was like, at one point in the run, I was like, should I try to go to a house? I don't think I can keep going. And I can only imagine the horror when you're out, in the wilderness miles from anybody. And this heroic sheep herder has saved a number of people's lives by picking up bodies and putting them in a cave. I mean, it's pretty amazing. And it just reminds us all to be very careful when you're out in the wilderness, folks, you're only one sprained ankle from serious trouble. So remember that. Yeah, Robert, just a very, very sad story. I mean, no one starts a race expecting that they might not make it home. And for, I mean, 21 people to to die in a race. That's just, it's just so sad. Uh, I really, I feel awful for the family. I feel awful for anyone who's involved. It's just, it's a tragedy. I mean, wh- when I was reading this thread, John, it just made me think like, if I was in that race, I think I'd be dead. But back in the day when I was actually in shape, because, you know, the elites, like this one guy who was in the top six, I mean, he's in the top 10. He's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one that lived. Because, you think, oh, I'm fit. You're not going to turn around. When have you ever dropped out of a race? And then you keep going and you're carrying up. The, the race did make people carry blankets and stuff, but apparently you needed a jacket or gloves. You know, and I think Weldon pointed this out to me. Someone said, like, people are like, well, how does this happen? Is it, the threat people simply were just denying. I'm like, look, they're dead. Like, do you want to, what are we denying? Like, this did happen. And someone's like, yeah, just think about it this way. Like, when the next time it's, 35 or 40 degrees in your hometown get in the shower let it run for 10 minutes on a cold temperature as fat and get totally soaked in your clothes and then run outside and see how long you last 
you're not going to last more than 20 minutes if it's windy. Yeah, Robert, this is tragic, and you would be dead. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. The top six, I think one guy lived, and it was some freak thing. I think the sheep herder saved him. I mean, you're super fit. I think sometimes we think we're invincible. I don't blame these guys. I would, I mean, they probably wouldn't, they didn't have a chance to turn around. You're just stuck out there. But we just all need to remember Mother Nature can kill us all. It's like this woman came to Flagstaff when I was training there, Margaret Bradley. She was going to the Grand Canyon the next day. She never made it back. It was super hot down there. She was hiking slash running with another guy and ended up dead. Totally tragic. So if you're going in extreme conditions or stream running, you know, places, always have a backup plan. Tell people where you are. Try to be as safe as possible. Uh, you know, I guess the consolation is these people are sort of, you know, doing kind of what they love, but it's totally tragic. And the sprained ankle thing's crazy, Robert. Like you, you were saying that. I remember going running one time up in Flagstaff, up in these mountains, and I was above the clouds in the winter. I remember thinking, it was just so beautiful, the most beautiful thing, perfect weather. I remember thinking, though, oh, if I break my ankle right here, no one's going to find me for like two weeks. Like, no one knew I was there, that sort of thing. So, even if it's good weather, just, you know, if you're going off in the wilderness, you tell people where you're going and try to be safe. Yeah, it used to scare me. Well, then, when Walden well, I was in Flagstaff only a short period when Walden was there for three or four years. He used to go run by himself all the time. I thought, like, what if he sprains, you know, even if you're just on a regular run, eight miles out and you sprain your ankle and it gets cold at night? Maybe you may get through the night? No. close. Actually, the closest I came to, why well, I say dying, I mean, I shouldn't say this lightly, it was after I think I ran the Chicago Marathon one year. Maybe the year I paced. I think I paced Chicago, the 210 guys, and then ran New York ran shitty but got olympic trials qualifier and then i was taking time off and i'm like oh i'm gonna go biking and i bought some you know 99 dollar bike at walmart went up in the mountains was was biking around it started getting dark and i'm like oh, i don't want to turn around that's kind of boring i'm gonna keep trying to go out i think there's another route out here i can connect the lake mary road and there was like a huge ravine and drop off and i started trying to like push the bike through that wondering if i would like i started pushing the bike below my feet it was crazy stupid so don't be stupid like me. I think you called me on your cell. You had a cell phone. You called me and you wanted me to get on Google Maps and try to find a shortcut for you. I remember this. Oh, yeah. Eventually, because I could see this road. That's right. I, I had coverage again. And I'm like, I'm like, what should I do? Should I keep pushing to try to see if this cliff, if I can make it? Or what do I do? Anyway, I'm still here to talk about it. All right. Well, a little bit of a somber ending to this week's podcast is there anything else you guys want to talk about before uh we sign off doha should be fun can't wait to give you my thoughts on it right after it ends to the our supporting club members join now let's run.com slash subscribe until then signing off remember the countdown to the trials on let's run.com is sponsored by on and it only takes 30 seconds to get electrolytes without the junk the drink LMNT free trial is here. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run to get a sample pack. You only pay five bucks shipping. And if you don't like it, I'll refund your five bucks. Thanks for listening.